Good morning. If you'll take your Bible and stand and turn to the book of Ephesians for our scripture reading. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. May the Lord have blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. If you have your copy of the scriptures, I'd invite you to take it and turn with me uh, back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we've been going through this book of Ephesians for a while, and we are almost to the end of the fourth chapter. You know, the book divides itself evenly into two sections, uh, one dealing with the wealth of the church, Uh, the things that God has given us in Christ, the other dealing with the walk of the church. And that is the section in which we are at the moment. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we traveled all the way down to verse 25. And this morning, I would like for us to just cover um, verses 25 and 26. Okay, well, 25, and then we'll go down to 29. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Father, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for loving us as you do and your goodnesses. Uh, And Father, now as we sit at your feet, as Toby mentioned, the best part of the day, uh, we get to hear from heaven. Uh, We ask that you might strengthen us in grace to listen attentively to you. I love Godfrey's statement uh, that attentiveness is showing the worth of a person by giving careful attention to their words. And so, Father, we want to show how much you mean to us uh, by listening carefully to what you say to us. By Satan, we don't want him to have any part in what takes place in the next uh, hour or so. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, you might bless our time together by speaking to us. Strengthen us to be attentive listeners and receive with meekness what you say. And Father, we'll thank you, as we always pledge to do, giving you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving, asking all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The Wealth and Walk in the Church, I happened upon a little writing by Os Hillman years ago called The New Employee. And in it, he asks the question, what would happen if Jesus took your place for a year in your workplace? Let's consider some hypothetical things he might do. Number one, he would do his work with excellence, right? He wouldn't slough off. He would be known around the office for the great work he did. Exodus 31, 2. He would develop new ideas for doing things better. Uh, new wine goes into new wineskins, not into the old ones. Ephesians 3.20, he would hang out with sinners 
in order to develop a relationship with them, to speak to them about the Father. Matthew 9:12. He would pray for each coworker about their concerns. He would rally the office to support a needy family uh, during Christmas. He would offer to pray for those who were sick in the office and see them get healed. He would honor the boss and respect him or her. And he would treat the boss as his authority in the workplace. Then, because this takes me where I want to go, (laughs) uh, he would be truthful in all his dealings, and never exaggerate for the sake of advancement. He would always, always, always tell the truth. You know, I, I, I highlighted that and made it a little larger, and as I was doing that, I was thinking about my beloved who is not here today and how that she has the gift of discernment And her calling is life, and life is to correct her husband. And how many times when I tell stories, uh, she listens attentively, and then when we get home, she reminds me, sometimes before we get home, she can't even wait till we get home, uh, to remind me that there were some inconsistencies in the things that I said. You know, praise the Lord. He will be concerned about his city. And, of course, he would strive or have have a motive to help others become successful, even at his own expense. Now, I would like to think that after Jesus left and you came back to work, that they would say, oh, you know, that guy, Jesus, he was as good as you were. There was no drop off because, you know, you are doing all these things as well. That's what I'm expecting would be the case. Amen? Don't make me lie. (laughs) Last week, we talked about making a fresh start. Looking at what Paul had said before, we looked at the fact that he had changed us. He says that we did not learn Christ, verse 20, like the old unbelievers who were darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God and ignorant and blind and unfeeling and given over to lewdness and lasciviousness. We didn't learn Christ that way. And we talked about the fact that we needed to make three distinct choices. Uh, We have to put off the old life because it is no longer appropriate, no longer fitting. We ought to renew our minds by taking in the Scriptures and allowing it to shape a new grid through which we sift all of the things that come at us in life. And then we were to put, or we are, to put on the new. Which, of course, begs the question, how do I put on the new life? How how am I supposed to, to put that on? And Paul helps us with that. Because in the following verses, verses 25 through 32, he tells us exactly what happens when we put on this new life. Just to give you, uh, uh, to make it simple for you, uh, there are, I guess how many aspects? (laughs) Three aspects. The components of a fresh start uh, include three different things. There's a change in my heart, verses 25 and Repeated again in 29. There's a change in my head, how I think, verses 26 through 27. And repeated again in verse 30. And then there's a change in my habits, verse 28. And repeated again in verses 31 through 32. So what we see is he goes heart, head, habit, 25 through 28. And then he goes heart, head, habit in 29 through 32. Uh, he repeats these same three ideas, and I, I was struck by that uh, because, I, you know, I think about our society and the wrongheadedness. You know, our society espouses behavior modification. We, we want to change the habits of people, but we don't, we don't back up to look at what's causing the habits. We just try to deal with what they do 
And we don't think carefully and deliberately about the fact that what they do is a direct result of how they think. And the way that they think is a direct result of what's in their heart. And we don't want to deal with heart issues. We don't want to challenge them to change the heart so that they might change how they think, so that they might change what they do. That's what God does. So, of course, because God does it that way, it doesn't surprise us the man doesn't do it that way. Man is always opposed to God and his thinking, and we are not wise. So this morning what I want to do is I want to I talk about the first aspect of that, a change in our heart. And that change has to do with our approach to how we speak. Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 28, I highlighted the salient parts there. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, this says something about speaking truth. It doesn't say anything about the heart. Uh, well, the, the Psalm, Psalm 15 says uh, that the person who will appear before God is a person uh, who... Uh, walks in righteousness, right? Um, they speak truth in their heart. In fact, in Matthew 15, and then repeat again in Mark 7, uh, Jesus was uh, being accosted by the uh, religious folk about the fact that his disciples, they didn't go through little ceremonial washings before they ate. So, you know, they were unclean. Jesus said this, he says, it's, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man. In fact, what, why, don't, why don't we turn there for just a second. Keep your finger there in Ephesians and turn back. Uh, you turn to Mark 7. I guess that's uh, easier, easy enough. Mark 7, he says to them, well, this, we're breaking in, of course, um, Verse uh, 14, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of, but, excuse me, the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone here has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 17, when he entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man uh, from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart? But his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And, and he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So when I want to, I want to speak truth, it's got to be from the heart. Because if my heart is not living and abiding in and understanding and submitting to truth, uh, then I will live a lie. And I will act it out in what I do. So he says, speak truth, each one of you, uh, with his neighbor. A change in my heart begins, uh, number one, when, when I, I said or lay aside falsehood. That's what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 25. He says, therefore, put a laying aside falsehood. And I, I read this. I thought immediately of Brother Edison, you know, because Brother Edison, you know, he's becoming a heavyweight. I mean, he was already kind of heavy anyway, not physically, but a heavyweight mentally because, you know, he's taking seminary courses and he's trafficking, he's getting deep in the languages and the Greek, you know, and when he reads this, he'll say to himself, ah, I know exactly what's going on here. That is an aorist participle. And because it's an aorist participle, uh, it, there where it says laying aside falsehood, the aorist tense, it means you come to a point and you stop. 
So, because it's a participle, it means continuous action up until that point. And then when it says speak truth, uh, that's a present active participle, which means it's ongoing. So he's saying you reach a point where you stop lying. It's not that you don't lie as much. He said you don't lie. (laughs) Christians tell the truth. Christians live the truth. We live in our truth. In fact, I I guess if you were to put the two tenses together, it's kind of like this. You know how how at certain times of the day, well, pretty much any time you go through uh, Wesley Chapel in Panola, you can go through there at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's going to be a backup. But, you know, sometimes you can can get on an access road, and you know you're traveling, and you look on the expressway, somebody's been on the cell phone, not paying attention, hit the wall, hit some other cars, couple accidents, and it's backed up traffic 18 miles, you know. So you can be going, and both are going, and then that one comes to a sudden stop, and it ain't going nowhere. But you're able to keep on going. That's what's happening. He says, he says listen, uh, you're speaking truth, but you, uh, you stop lying. You continue to always speak truth one to another. I need to, I need to put that kind of action behind me permanently. And I say, don't, don't be playing devil's advocate. You know, sometimes, you know, we like doing that. You say, I youth Sunday <laughs> when I was a youth director at the church. And, you know, every youth Sunday we did a skit, right? And then the skit you would always have, you know, you, you have some, some, you know, Christian you know, some good kid and uh, who was doing the things that God wanted. And then you had the kids who weren't doing the thing that God wanted. So you say, all right, who wants to play the good kid? All right. <laughs> That's how you, you have to make them pull straws. Whoever got the short straw had to play the good kid. You know, nobody wants to be good. Everybody wants to be the bad person, you know. Uh, just, uh, I'm sure it's not like that anymore, Toby, because, you know, they all want to, to really be good, right? Uh-huh, don't raise your hand, but that's okay. It's just one of those things. But we should put aside that. In fact, it ought not to even be something that we are kind of disposed towards. We want to put that away from us. In Paul's day, lying was not considered a dastardly thing. Uh, it was considered to be a good thing under certain circumstances. And, you know, people today think like that true. Speaking truth or lies in Paul's day kind of went like this. Uh, Menander said, a lie is better than a truthful hurt. So you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, so you, you lie to them, right? Good is better than truth, right? So I, I want to be good to you, so I won't tell you the whole skinny. Would you appreciate the doctor who said, well, you know, you're okay, and you die of cancer. But you think, well, you know, you, you, you know, you'd be all right. No, you wouldn't appreciate that. Darius says, when telling a lie will be profitable, let it be told. Right? You know, I, I, I don't want to get in trouble. I want to stay out of trouble. Right? So I, I don't want to tell the truth if it's going to get me in trouble. I told you about... Uh, Sister Clark, Juanita Clark, when she and her husband were here, and their kids were really small, and uh, Juanita came in, and the three kids, something happened. I don't remember what it was, but she said, she said, all right, who did that? And all three of them went mute, right? She said, all right, who did it? Solomon, did you do it? No, I didn't do it, Mom. Daniel, you did it. No, no, it wasn't me, Mom. You can ask God, right? Leah, did you do it? No, I didn't do it. And she just couldn't figure out who did it. And so finally she said, okay, look, you know, I want to know. She she said, I I promise you I will not punish you. I won't spank you at all. I just want to know who did it, right? And then she went on to say, well, you know, God doesn't like lying, and God's going to deal with the person who told the lie. It's never good to tell a lie. She just went on and on and on after a while. Daniel said, Mom, my stomach feels funny. <laughs> Why your stomach feel funny? I don't know. Did you do it? 
Well, yeah, Mr. You Can Ask God was the one that did it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it's like this. Sometimes if they're profitable to tell a lie, I'm going to tell the lie. But she had promised not to spank him, so she didn't get him. She told Ray when he got home. Ray said, well, I didn't promise. So <laughs> Ray and Daniel had a come-to-Jesus meeting. So, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's like this. Sometimes that happens. We think that a lie is good for us when it never is. It never is. He may lie who knows how to do it in a suitable time. You know, I put down in my my notes, um, sagacity and mendacity often walk together, you know. And the proof of that is Dr. Fauci, you know, because, you know, some people, they can tell a flat-out lie and make it sound like the truth, you know. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that has nothing to do with COVID. That's just the one. Well, let, me, let, me leave, let me leave it alone. There is nothing decorous. Uh, I'm sorry. There's a C there. It's decorous in truth, but when it is profitable. Yea, sometimes truth is hurtful, and lying is profitable to men. Now, these were statements made in Paul's day. This is how people felt about lying. It's not always bad to lie. Paul said, listen, no lie is of the truth. Don't speak falsehood, right? You know, I, told, I was talking to a girl on my job years ago, and I was telling her that, you know, you're not supposed to lie. There ain't nothing wrong with lying. I said, yeah, that's a violation of the Ten Commandments. She said, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. Like, when was the last time you read the Ten Commandments, right? You know, the Ninth Commandment says, thou shalt not exaggerate. No, it says, thou shalt not bear false witness. What does that mean? That means don't lie. Well, she, she didn't think it was in there, you know. And a lot of people, that they, they might admit that it's in there, but they don't think it's all that bad anymore. What does God think about that? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 gives God's thoughts on that. It says there are six things which the Lord hates. He detests these things. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Hardy eyes. There's, well, look at the second one. A lying tongue. God detests lying. Hands that shed in some blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run swift to the evil, and look, a false witness who utters lies. Twice in that list of seven, he talks about lying. God hates lying because God is true. I told you before, I'll probably tell it again, but, you know, I told my kids when they were little, I said, listen, you know, dad, dad doesn't want you lying. In fact, if you do something wrong, you know, I mean, I, I don't, we never discipline our kids for being clumsy. You know, if they accidentally knock over the Kool-Aid, you know, even if it's on the carpet. I mean, you know, I won't spank them for that. I mean, you don't discipline a kid for being clumsy. They, they weren't trying to be clumsy. They just are sometimes. But if you said, okay, don't pick up three glasses at one time full of Kool-Aid because you might drop one, and they did it anyway, oh, it's on then, right? So, you know, it's just one of those things. I told them, if you do something wrong, if you do something that I don't like, you know, I'll have to punish you. Like, you know, depending on whether or not my team wins, you know, you may or may not get the punishment. (laughs) But I said, but if you lie to me, I will always get you. Always. Why? Because God hates lying. Because God is true. And I've been tasked by God with raising you for him, right? My job is not to be liked by you. My job is to raise you to live responsibly before him. So like I say, so when you leave, you ain't got to come back. That's what I want to do. I want to please the Lord. God hates lying. But I find that sometimes, you know, people who name the name of Christ, they traffic in lies. I put down lie to me the series because, you know, there was a, there was a series on TV called Lie to Me, right? I never watched the series, but I would see the title, and I know what that's about, right? And, you know, maybe it was about politics. I don't know. All politicians seem to be liars, you know. I don't I, Maybe there are some honest ones out there. But anyway, you know, look, I put down some, some things that tend toward that. Tell my kids to lie, right? 
Remember back in the days before cell phones, the phone would ring, and the kid pick it up. Who is it? It's a bill collector. Tell him I'm not home. My mom said she's not home, right? <laughs> I'll get your kids to lie for you. I know you all never did that, or you all no longer do that, whichever is the case, right? High defects or something uh, that I sell. You know, we were, uh, uh, we selling our home in, in Pennsylvania to move to Michigan to start our church. Uh, we had this little modest home, and <laughs> a little before we were going to sell the home, you know, there was a nice little crop of water started shooting up in the front yard. Now, it wasn't near the street, so it wasn't the city's fault. It was on my property, <laughs> which means I had to fix it. And so I had a, a guy in the church who was a plumber. He came, he dug down, and he said, Ray, he said, that pipe down there, I don't know how long it's been there, but it's so fragile. He said, I just picked it up, and it disintegrated in my hand. He says, I don't know how far out it's going to go. You may have to replace this whole thing. Yeah, okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's do this. I said, just... Cut off a piece that, you know, seems to be pretty firm, right? And then go ahead and, and put new, uh, the, the new um, thingy in there, new piping in there. I mean, it's all plastic, right? And so he did that. He says, I don't know how long it'll last. I said, well, uh, Kim, if it, if it doesn't last, I'll just, have to, I'll just have to fix it. You know, I mean, I don't have a lot of money, but I'll have to fix it. Because <laughs> that's the right thing to do. And, of course, fortunately for me, for us, you know, we went the rest of the time. We sold the house and never happened again. In fact, when we were in, in Michigan, I had a leak that popped up in my front yard, and I dug down, and then I just covered it over. You know, I wrapped it and covered it over and uh, resided, and it, it never happened again. So I, I don't know. If the house in Pennsylvania, if he ever, the owner ever had a problem with that, I don't know. He never called me. But now here we are in Georgia where all people are honest. And, you know, I had, uh, I told you I had the uh, water bubbling up in my yard from the sprinkler. Um, and I had the guy fix it. And he said, you, you got... Um, Three zones, but only two of them are connected. And when he connected the third zone, there was a big, huge leak out near the edge of the property. He says, I guess they disconnected that because they didn't want to fix that. They knew they had the problem. So I'm all right, amen. I just went on and got it fixed, you know, because, I mean, it's the right thing to do. But not everybody is honest. I mean, they didn't say that when they sold the house. Oh, by the way, the, the sprinkler system is broken in the third zone. Nobody mentions that kind of stuff, right? Sometimes we do things and, uh, you know, you figure a little little extra paint, <laughs> right, right before you sell the house increases the value because it hides all the stuff that ain't right, you know. Let me just take a minute. This, is, this isn't about anything, but I want to say this to you, Sheila. Uh, I want to say it to you in front of the people I so appreciate you. You know, Sheila did some remodeling in our home. And I tell you what, I mean, she not only did a very good job, the crew did a very good job. But afterwards, you know, before she released all the final payments, she, she walked through and she put blue uh, paper strips up over everything that needed to be attended through. That walk through, she said, I don't want anything wrong when I sign off on this. And I so appreciated that. Because not everybody does that. You know, sometimes people just say, well, okay, it looks good. You know, give me my money, and they're gone, you know. But that's not what she did, and I appreciate that, you know. Um, so the next time I need something done, you know, I'll give you a call. <laughs> sometimes people hide those defects, which is a lie. Sometimes people embellish your story, right? They just, you know, I, I was reading a, uh, one pastor, he um he was hearing a very uh, dynamic testimony 
of his conversion. <clears throat> and he would tell that testimony. And every time he told the people were just moved and moved. And, and then after several years, you know, he stopped telling the testimony. And someone asked him, how come you don't share that no more? He said, well, over the years, I, I embellished it so much. Until now, I can't remember which part is true and which part is not true. <laughs> so I just don't use that no more, you know. <laughs> and it happens, right? You know, the fish you caught, first it was like this, right? And it was like this, and it was like this, and then, you know. Now it can't hardly fit on your wall, right? You know, sometimes, you know, we don't mean to lie. It just happens. And then make a, a promise that, that I don't try to keep. I almost said I don't intend to keep. Sometimes we just tell people we're going to do something to get them out of our face. And we know and we tell them we have no intention of really doing it. And then when they call us, we don't answer the phone. You know, there's some, something that needed to be done. And I contacted the individual, and he said he was going to come and do it. <clears throat> and then when he was going to come and do it, I had a conflict. And then I said, well, let's put it off. And then we scheduled it. And then when it was that day, he called me and said, well, my wife, I had to take her to the hospital. And uh, we had an emergency. In fact, I'm still there. And I said, well, when you get your wife's situation resolved, give me a call. He never called me again. I called him. Got his voicemail. I texted him. I texted him. He's never going to contact me because he doesn't want to do it. He said he was going to do it. But he didn't do it. It's just one of those things. Christians, followers of Christ, folk who are sure enough born again, don't traffic in lies. In fact, John 8, I put this up because just just to make a little simple point. John 8, 42 to 46, Jesus told the unbelieving Jews, you know, the religious folk, he says, if if God were your father, uh, you would love me. Because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you are unable to do so. For you are the children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he has always hated the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. You can't help it, right? And, you know, when I I put that there to make the point, Christ is truth. God's word is truth. God traffics in truth. Those who know Christ. They walk in truth. And, and see, the, the people who traffic in lies are of the evil one. Now, I'm not saying you, if you tell a lie, you are the devil. That's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> in fact, John says, who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? See, the person who is living a lie because they will not acknowledge Christ as being true and truly from God, that person doesn't belong to God. They traffic in lies. We are children of truth, and we walk in truth. So a change in my heart means I'm going to share. I'm going to lay aside falsehood. I can't traffic in lies, but I will speak the truth. I speak the truth to to everyone in every situation, but not necessarily everything. I, I had to put that in there because, you know, one time I was taking my wife over to my sister and brother-in-law's house, and I was taking her for a surprise birthday party. But I said, before we celebrate your birthday, we have to stop at Ferris and Cynthia's house. She said, okay, okay. You know, so we are going over there, driving right past those cars that she should have recognized, uh, which were all lined up on the road. (laughs) And, you know, we went up to the house, rang the doorbell, and when she opened the door, they're like, happy birthday, surprise! And she couldn't believe it, you know. Now, I could have said, well, listen, the truth is I have a surprise birthday party planned for you. You're not supposed to know about it, but I have to tell you the truth. I didn't lie, lie to her. I said, before we celebrate, 
we have to stop at this house, you know. So, you know, it was, you know, truish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, aside from instances like that, you know, then, you know, you, we just don't traffic in lies. We don't try to deceive people, you know. How much does God care about truth? Zechariah, well, I put three verses down, three passages. Zechariah 8, God says, this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your course that are just and that lead to peace. Do not make evil plots to harm each other. And stop this habit of swearing to things that are false. You know, we, I, I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, you lied. Stop it. God says, I hate all of these things. A few verses before, up from Ephesians uh, 4.25, Paul says, speak the truth in love. Well, he says, we're speaking the truth in love. And by speaking the truth, we're able to grow up into all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Colossians 3.9, he says, don't lie to each other. Why? Because you stripped off your old evil nature and all his wicked deeds. It doesn't fit for you to tell a lie because you're made of truth now. God has remade you. He's given you a new nature that desires to please him. And so you you can't go around lying. Not lying. When my kids were little, we were in... um, I used to teach at, uh, speak in chapel at the school. And um, when they were really small, they have elementary chapel and they have high school chapel. And when you, they asked you to speak, you had to do both. And so I was talking to the little ones, and I told them about this boy. I said, one time he was in the house, and he, he said something that wasn't true, and out of his mouth popped a, a little lie. And, you know, it surprised him. But, you know, he went into the living room. When we came back, the lie had gotten a little bigger. And then when he left to go to school, he looked back, and the lie was following him to school. And then the lie was looking in the window. And then it followed him home. And the next day, the thing was so big, it scared him. And, you know, we were just going on and on. And then finally I said, okay. He went to his mom and said, Mom, I told something that wasn't true. I lied. I'm sorry. And then after he did that, he went looking. No lie. Okay? And that was the point. We're not to lie to each other. We're to speak truth. Because we're children of truth. And then the, the fourth thing, Paul says, laying aside falsehood and Speak truth. Excuse me, the third thing. It says, I said, I, I will see the connections. I'll see the connections. Because he says right at the end of verse 25, he says, we're members of one another. We're, we're members of one another. Remember that song, I need you to survive. I need you. You need me. We, we need each other. We're one family. I need you to survive. In fact, you know, the, the thing I was thinking about this, this this week as I was kicked out of my room, I said, you know, the, the, the worst thing about COVID is the fact that COVID has caused us to be afraid of each other. See, God has designed us to, to interact, to interlace. We, we need each other. He's designed us until we, we aren't all that we could be or should be without each other. But now COVID has caused us to feel that instead of me recognizing that God has graced me, he's put something really good and valuable in me that needs to come out for your benefit. Now we're afraid that there might be something in us that will bring harm. And so we we fight the urge to be together. The very thing God called us to do, we stop doing because society says you shouldn't. And that's unfortunate. You know, I told I told the folk in Michigan, I said, listen, be it unto you according to your faith. You know, we're meeting. You know, if your faith isn't strong enough for you to come, then I guess you have to stay home and watch on Zoom. And, you know, I wasn't trying to be mean to them. 
I mean, maybe it came out that way. But I was trying to get them to see that, you know, God has called us to be together. And we belong together. And, you know, if, if I mean, it really, if he's God, if, if he's great, if he has all power, is, isn't he strong enough to, to take care of us? I mean, really. I, I, I mean, that's kind of how I looked at it. My wife said, I tested positive for COVID. You need to get out of here. I'm like, well, no, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of COVID. You need to go. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so, you know, for her sake, I, I, I walked out, and, and I've been out all week. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, you know, take her food, and, and then I go on about my business. But I, I, I never feared COVID. And I, I, frankly, I don't understand why we're afraid of COVID. I, I don't. Um, <clears throat> I understand comorbidities perhaps more than most of you. Um, you know, over 30 years in the medical field, I know about, um, you know, disease states and uh, transmissions and all of that stuff. But I also know I serve a great God. And the thing that he's called me to do, uh, Peter says to the Sanhedrin, he said, listen, we decided we must obey God rather than men. We just, this is what God told us to do. And we're just going to leave the consequences to him. And, you know, when when the thing first broke out, some of the ones, some of my closest Christian friends challenged me and said, well, Pastor Ray, you know, you, you're insensitive and, and unloving and uncaring, but you don't seem to care about people that might be at risk because of this disease or this virus. I said, okay, well, I don't want people to think that I'm uncaring and unfeeling. So, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll quarantine. And then after they said the liquor stores could stay open, I said, uh-uh. If, if, if people need liquor, they need the Lord. We meeting. So I said, okay, we put protocols in place. You come in, we shut all the doors. You come in one way. You go right by the bathroom, hand sanitizer, soap, wash your hands 20 seconds, you know, do the whole thing. And we had signs everywhere. We did all of that. So we met, and, you know, we had one member of our church uh, who wound up in the hospital because she had some rather serious conditions before COVID, and they put on a ventilator. So we went, and, you know, we bought um, food for that wing of the hospital as a church because we appreciated them taking care of her, you know. And I mean, we, we, we did what we thought we could to show the love of Christ, but we still met. And then she was home. And, you know, as far as I know, nobody else in our church got sick from COVID. But, you know, it is. Anyway, I, I didn't really tend to say all that about COVID because the very fourth thing, <laughs> the last thing, is I need to screen my words. <laughs> I will screen my words. The first, verse 29 uh, says this, it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, right? What's an unwholesome word? In the sample, it means, it means something rotten, uh, something useless. You know, in fact, that word is, is used in Matthew 7. Jesus talks about a tree. He says a, a good tree, it can't produce rotten fruit. And a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. The tree's known by its fruit. And, and so that, that word samples, it, it, it talks about rottenness. But it's also used in Matthew 13. When Jesus is giving a story about a, a dragnet, he says the men, they, they throw the net out, they drag it to shore, uh, to the boat, and then they, they go through and they sort the fish. They keep the good ones, but the samples, the, the useless, the unprofitable, uh, they, they toss them back. See, it, it's not profitable. So he says, you know, the words that you use, they ought to be, or they ought not to be useless, unprofitable, rotten, decrepit, stinky words. I need to think carefully about the words that I use so that I will honor God. And he says, 
Don't let anything like that proceed from your mouth, but, but only such a word as is good for edification. Edification is a construction term, Sheila, and it talks about the, the building up, like, like you're building a building. See, you, you have a good foundation, and you put nice, elegant framework, and then a roof, and, you know, you build it for beauty. And, and that's how we want to do with our words. We want to traffic in words that, that are beautiful and delightful and that lay a good foundation and that are shielding and protecting and helpful and uplifting. Paul says those are the only kind of words that need to come out of your mouth. If, they don't, if you don't have words like that, then don't let them come out of your mouth. That's a challenge. You know, people like me who get paid by the word, you know, I mean, I use words all the time. But I need to realize that words have power. And because words have power, I need to be careful in how I use them. I don't want to be indiscriminate in my word usage. Because, you know, I might hurt somebody. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about, about electricity. You know, electricity is very powerful. Electricity is useful. But you can't play around with it. You can't be haphazard and, and careless with it. Because if you are, you could hurt someone. Or you might even hurt yourself. And words are like that. They're power. They're power to bless and power to destroy. James says in chapter 3, he says the tongue is a small thing, but it can do an enormous amount of damage. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It can ruin your whole life. You can, you know, go out and, and make reservations and, you know, take your wife out and spend all that money for all that swank restaurant and that expensive meal. And while you're there, you can say one little thoughtless thing and she'd be mad. And then she don't want to eat. Like, do you know how much money I pay for this food? I don't care. I ain't hungry. <laughs> right? One little careless word. You have to be careful what you say. Not that, not saying that has happened to me. I just read about that happening to some people, you know, sometimes. But he says in verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. Only God can do that. That's, that's why I start off my morning, I got to get before the Lord. Because as someone said, the, the tongue is a daily reminder to purify my heart. Because if I don't purify my heart, it's going to come out in my mouth. And I'm going to say something. And I'm going to wish I hadn't said it, right? Well, they say, where, make, make sure your words are like uh, peppermint socks, right? Because you may have to eat them, right? You don't want to be trafficking in words that are not good. Psalm 143 helps me. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. God's got to do that, and I need him to before I hurt somebody. Proverbs 13 says, those who control their tongue will have a long life. <laughs> a quick retort can get you shot. Well, that's not what he said, but it can ruin everything. You know, you look over at the person zooming by you on the expressway, you can give them a mean look if you want. You might roll the window down. Right? People are cray-cray. You have to be careful what you say. You can't be saying, you idiot, will you? Wait, I didn't mean it. Right? <laughs> too late. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: those who love to talk will experience the consequences. Right? For the tongue can kill or nourish life. There's great power in the tongue. And James says we all make mistakes, but those who can control their tongue can control themselves in every other way. I end by pointing out that in verse 29, he talks about what happens when we use our tongues widely. There's a payoff for having good words. He says, instead of having corrupt, useless, decrepit words come out of our mouths, they need to be good for upbuilding that it may impart grace. 
grace. It, it may give grace to those who hear it. And I want my words to be sweet. You know, when my mom was alive and I lived at home, uh, she used to make dinner and she had this big ceramic bowl. And in that big ceramic bowl, she makes sweet tea. Good stuff, boy, I'll tell you. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not, Mark Lowry says that this tea should be so sweet you could pour it over your, your pancakes, you know. But it ain't got to be that sweet. But I know that she had that big bowl, and I love that sweet tea. And, man, I came, I washed my hands, I sat down, I made me a plate. And, you know, got the glass, put the, the ice cubes in there, got me some of that tea, and I went, Oh, <laughs> you know, had no sugar in it. And she was, she was just watching me the whole time. She just fell out. <laughs> it's like, I could not believe that my mom, who claimed to love me, would do that to me. But she thoroughly enjoyed watching me uh, turn my mouth upside down because it was so bitter. But listen, you know, sometimes words can be like that. Words can be really, really bitter. Oh, but you know, the grace of God, it, it, it makes them sweet and satisfying. And that's, that's how I want my words to be. And, and I, I want, you know, God wants my words to be that way. There is a great payoff for trafficking in good, sound, wholesome, uplifting words. And I want to learn how to speak them. Listen, if you're here tonight, today, maybe, maybe you can't say that, that uh, the grace of God is such that, that you are able uh, to have your tongue tamed by him because you don't have a relationship with Christ. Well, maybe you came in that way, but you don't have to walk out that way. You know, God brought you here because he loves you and he wants you to know him in the pardoning of your sins. If you're here today, why not sur surrender your life to Jesus? Let him take you and change you from the inside out. Let him change your heart, which changes the way you think, which will change the way you live. Lord bless you. Father, thank you so much again for this day. And uh, thank you for your love, Father. Thank you for your word. Uh, we, we see how far short we fall. Um, the ability to traffic in good words is beyond us at times. Uh, sometimes the best thing we can say is nothing because we're, we're not articulate enough to, to speak well. Uh, not that we can't say proper things, but that we may not choose proper things to say. And Father, we need your grace. Do a, a work in our hearts. Strengthen us. Help us, Father. Um, we want to walk in truth. And we want the truth to, to take hold and, and grow and blossom and bear fruit in our lives, that we might walk in truth always. And then we can speak truth and not falsehood. Strengthen us by your spirit to do so. And we'll thank you. Pray for those who may be apart from Christ, that you draw them to yourselves today. Save them. And we thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.